It is early in the year 587 BCE, and the Babylonian army has set up their siege works all around the holy city of Jerusalem. No one goes in, no one comes out. The people of Jerusalem are trapped. They know it. The enemy knows it. And the enemy sits waiting, for time is on their side. By now, uh, the food inside the city is growing scarce. Flour is hard to come by in order to make bread. All the animals have long since been slaughtered for meat. And the people wonder, will we be taken by sword or away in chains? Like salt in the wound, someone actually saw this coming. For years, the prophet Jeremiah has been announcing the failure of the southern kingdom, that they were breaking the covenant that God had made with them. And Jeremiah had been warning them that the results of this behavior would be disastrous. But few listened. With his words and with his actions, Jeremiah had been showing the people, it's a, it was kind of a performance art meets prophetic witness. You know, sometimes he would wear a yoke like you would yoke oxen. He would wear this yoke around his neck to show the people that they were going to be subjects of another kingdom. It wasn't very popular. The people of Judah were sinning against God by oppressing the vulnerable. The widow, the orphan, the refugee. And their actions, Jeremiah warned, would have consequences. And they have. The worst has come. And in the midst of their despair, with the truth of his words made plain all around, the prophet Jeremiah proclaims something unexpected yet again. With the world as they know it crumbling around them, Jeremiah offers a new prophetic vision, the promise of a covenant anew that God will not abandon God's people. That even as the enemy waits at the gates, an exile is sure to follow. Even then, the Lord tells Jeremiah, I will be your God, and you will be my people. For many in this country and around the world, this past year has felt like a siege. I realize that there was no army, that our buildings still stand, and that the devastation is on a different scale. But this morning, I especially think of those who have lived in group settings, those in prisons, or in group homes, 
or in nursing homes. For a year, the enemy of this virus has been waiting at the gates. And once inside, has slipped from room to room and from cell to cell, and suffering has followed. The siege is not simply felt by those in nursing homes. What we thought would be several weeks, maybe a few months at most, has become an interminably long year. So for many, with this siege, there has come a sense of suffocation. Jobs have disappeared. Income has been reduced. Crimes of hatred have risen as we have turned once again against another. Most recently seen this week against Asian women in Atlanta, but these acts have been taking place across the country as well as right here where we live. Most recently in Oakland and in San Francisco. Relationships have frayed to their breaking point. Depression has set in for people of all ages as anxiety has increased. The pressures of sickness and work and school have compounded as our homes have become our crucibles. Again, the people of 6th century BCE Jerusalem faced a kind of devastation different than even this past year has wrought on many of us. But the lament, the lament of pain and deep sadness still resonates. Is there anything more to life than this? In our gospel passage for today, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the wider world has finally arrived to see this Jesus. And with that, the gospel of John turns. The hour has come, and at least in this account of the good news, the death of Jesus is imminent. And what follows is dramatic, you know, with the thunder and the judgment. But once again, as I read this text this week, what I could not let go of was that proverbial grain of wheat. This grain, it's so full of promise, so full of potential. It's life as I've known it, what I've loved, what I've feared. The future as far as I can dream of it. And because it's been all I've known, often I hold on to it tightly. And then, without warning, from the hand that so carefully held it, the grain slips free and tumbles, falling down, down, down until it disappears into the earth. And it's gone. 
lost for what feels like forever. Again, this past year, it has just felt powerfully familiar. And so I wonder, I wonder if the friends of Jesus, as they were reeling from his death, whether they could see anything more in front of them besides grief and hurt and loss. And I wonder if they remembered this saying of Jesus from this moment when it all changed. That even when the shadows of life seemed to crowd out all of the light, after the worst thing, there is something more. Scholars for centuries have struggled to place today's passage from Jeremiah because when you read the book in its entirety, this uh, text of consolation doesn't follow the narrative at all. The, the covenant of promise that we heard seems to be out of place in a story that is all about siege and desolation. And so scholars actually believe that's the point. That the writer of this heartbreaking story wanted to make sure that those who would hear it, decades later, centuries later, millennia later, would know of the covenant of God even in times of terror. Maybe especially then. And week after week after week this Lent, we've been hearing about covenants. Over and again, we have heard about how God yearns to be in relationship with us. And we hear that because as one biblical scholar has said, we need to remember that God is relentlessly persistent. Do we pretend that we can go it alone? Do we rely on our own strength? For sure. Do we harm the beloved of God? Yes, we do. And then do we try and run away? Absolutely. And even then, our sacred stories remind us even then God is waiting, hoping. And so it's just after this passage that the prophet Jeremiah undertakes his final prophetic act. At this point, he is confined to the court of the king. He's basically under house arrest, maybe for being right. And his cousin Hanamel comes to visit him there. And while the Babylonians wait outside the gates, Hanamel comes to offer the ancestral family field for Jeremiah to buy. Can you believe that? What, what point? Could that make? Why would they need 
an ancestral land when the Babylonians are going to take everything. After Jeremiah has predicted the downfall of the kingdom and it's happened, now Hanamel comes to offer this land. But once again, Jeremiah cuts against the grain and in his final act does what is almost unimaginable. He weighs out 17 shekels of silver and buys the field from his cousin. Then he has them make two deeds, one that they can keep around, the other they, sail, they seal in earthenware jars and hide it away. And by doing this, he says to everyone there that day, in an act that is so powerful that it's come down to our day, that the people of God will once again be in their land. And that despite all appearances, God will not forget them. This ancient text reminds us that there will be times in our lives when we feel like it's all over. And for many people, that has been this past year. And Jeremiah trusted, like Jesus trusted, like our hearts willing, you and I will trust that because of the persistence of this relentless God and the fields of the faithful from the grain once buried amidst the heaviness and the fear and the loss, that the green blade will rise once more. 